Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature reports, I'll bring you a look at regional and national agricultural news. And the show starts right after this. Agroplante is the leading manufacturer in specialty products. Agroplante formulates products that rise to the challenge of today's growing conditions. Saline and sodic soils reduce crop yield and cause significant crop losses. Agroplante developed Cation EX5 Plus with growers in mind to manage soil salinity. With multiple years of research, Cation EX5 Plus has proven to be an excellent source of calcium and an effective soil salinity manager. Run it through drip irrigation without any issues. Simplify your application method with innovative and efficient formulations. Alleviate salinity stress with Cat Ion EX5 Plus. Agroplante. Imagination. Innovation. Science in action. California water officials are working on an updated plan to improve conditions for declining fish populations in the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta. The state is also seeking input from farmers, water districts, environmentalists, and other water interests on a water quality control plan for the Delta and San Francisco Bay. As part of a legally required process, the California State Water Resources Control Board is accepting public comments related to a September 28th draft environmental report by staff that evaluates approaches under consideration. The draft report evaluates strategies that set minimum amounts of unimpaired water flow in rivers and tributaries that would require water users to cut usage. It also analyzes a voluntary agreement approach that recommends targeted flows be paired with habitat restoration, scientific monitoring, and hundreds of millions of dollars for implementation. Early implementation of voluntary agreements is happening with a few dozen habitat projects either complete or almost complete with more projects in a planning stage. Some districts, farmers and residents have protested the unimpaired flows approach, saying it would do little to restore salmon and other fish populations while cutting water supplies and causing economic harm to affected communities. After evaluating public feedback on a draft report and peer review input on a science report findings on proposed voluntary agreements, state water board staff could incorporate any changes and and release draft planned amendments for public review and comment in early to mid-2024. For more information or to submit written comments, go to waterboards.ca.gov. Oswood Land Trust has been awarded a $250,000 grant from the Strategic Growth Council's Sustainable Agricultural Lands Conservation Program in the fiscal year 2022 to 2023. This grant will enable Oswood Land Trust to significantly expand its conservation easement program, furthering its commitment to preserving and protecting valuable agricultural lands for future generations and building on its initial success with the Trust for Public Land in acquiring an agricultural conservation easement on the nearly 2,000-acre Alphabet Farms Ranch. The SALC program, administered by the California Department of Conservation, plays a crucial role in supporting efforts to combat climate change by promoting sustainable land use practices. SALC is part of California Climate Investments, a statewide initiative that puts billions of cap-and-trade dollars to work reducing greenhouse gas emissions, strengthening the economy, and improving public health in the environment, particularly in disadvantaged communities. The grant awarded to Oswit Land Trust is a testament to the organization's dedication to environmental stewardship and its successful 
successful track record in conserving and protecting land, according to the organization. With the grant funds, Oswit Land Trust plans to implement a strategic expansion of its conservation easement program by establishing a conservation easement division that will work closely with local farmers and landowners to permanently protect ag lands from development. The initiative aligns with the SAC program's goal of preventing the conversion of vital farmlands into non-agricultural uses, contributing to the overall sustainability of California's agricultural landscape. For more information about Oswit Land Trust and its conservation efforts, log on to oswitlandtrust.org. After a season of severe drought and a cut in acres planted to rice, California rice leaders say the season has ended well with good yields and quality, and rice acreage in California has surpassed 500,000 acres this year. California has returned to its high end of normal rice acreage, putting more medium grain product on the market as most of the rice grown there is in a medium grain varieties. The U.S. Department of Agriculture's National Agricultural Statistics Service is spending several months gathering information about farm economics and farmers and ranchers across the state of California as the agency conducts the third and final phase of the 2023 Agricultural Resource Management Survey. To obtain the most accurate data, NAS will reach out to nearly 40,000 producers nationwide, including 2,500 in California, between January and April of 2024. The survey asked producers to provide in-depth information about their operating revenues, production costs, and household characteristics. The 2023 ARMS survey also includes a version of the questionnaire focused on farm cost of production and expenditures for oat producers. Information provided to NAS is kept confidential as required by federal law. The agency only publishes data and aggregate form, ensuring that no individual respondent or operation can be identified. The expense data gathered in ARMS will be published in the annual Farm Production Expenditures Report on July 26th. That report and other are available at nas.usda.gov front slash publications. The USDA has earmarked half of its emergency fund to respond to exotic fruit fly outbreaks in California, which threaten the fresh produce industry in the state. USDA Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack has approved transferring $213.3 million from the agency's Commodity Credit Corporation to its Animal and Plant Hunt Inspection Service to directly support emergency response efforts to respond to threats associated with growing outbreaks of exotic fruit flies and New World Screwworm, according to a news release. USDA said $103.5 million of the emergency fund will help to address known outbreaks of exotic fruit flies in California and increase preventative activities in other susceptible areas of the U.S. USDA also said APHIS will also address fruit fly incursions from areas of Guatemala and Mexico to prevent the northern spread of the Mediterranean fruit fly. USDA's APHIS and the California Department of Food and Agriculture recently expanded the state's fruit fly quarantine in the Stevenson Ranch area of Los Angeles County. The California Department of Food and Agriculture's exotic fruit fly quarantines include the guava fruit fly, Malaysian fruit fly, Mediterranean fruit fly, Mexican fruit fly, melon fruit fly, oriental fruit fly, Queensland fruit fly, as well as the Tau fly. The additional $109.8 million in funds will help APHIS combat New World Screwworm, a devastating livestock pest that can affect any warm-blooded animal, including humans, according to the release. Attention ag professionals, how do you maximize your efforts in your fields without breaking the bank? Come find out at the Inputs Ag Summit on January 10th in Fresno. Network with the best companies looking to help you save money and resources, making your dollars go further in the field. This is your chance to stay ahead and thrive in the face of challenges. The time to make a difference is now. You can't afford to miss out. Visit myaglife.com forward slash events to register or call 559-352-4456.
Proponents of California's Agricultural Overtime Law, Assembly Bill 1066, have called it a victory for farm workers, while critics have asserted that it will harm the very people it was designed to protect. New research by Ali Hill, UC Cooperative Extension Specialist and Assistant Professor in UC Berkeley's Department of Agricultural and Resource Economics, shows that, on average, there has been a decrease in worker hours and wages. Her estimates suggest that in the first two years of its implementation, California's farm workers worked a total of 15,000 to 45,000 fewer hours and earned a total of 6 million to 9 million less on their weekly paychecks than they would have without this law in place. The earnings essentially follow from the hours, but I think the best way to conceptualize this is imagine that you own a business and Previously, you basically, you know, could hire people, let's just go with what actually happened for up to 60 hours a week at their normal hourly rate. And now all of a sudden you have to start hiring people, you have to start paying people 1.5 times that normal hourly rate after working 50 hours a week. So I can either continue as I was before and just pay people for the extra 10 hours a week maybe that they were working. Or I can hire additional workers, pay everyone that same hourly rate, and I'm no longer having to essentially like up the marginal cost of operating my business. So, you know, it essentially introduces what we call a kink in, in the uh, cost function for employers. So given that they can uh, you know, this is this is where things get a little bit messy is, you know, assuming that employers can find all the workers to replace those hours, then it makes sense in, in within the context of capitalism and trying to be profit maximizing that you would cut hours to blow that kink. Hill's work highlights that the share of workers working 56 to 60 hours per week just below the old overtime threshold decreased by roughly half. Most of these workers shifted to working fewer hours. The share working 46 to 50 hours per week, just below the new, as of 2020, overtime threshold, increased by roughly one-third. She found similar reductions in worker earnings. The share of the workforce with higher weekly earnings, between $600 and $800 a week, decreased by roughly one-third, with most of these workers shifting into a lower earnings bracket of four dollars to $500 a week. These changes in hours and pay are consistent with employers behaving as they claimed they would by cutting hours to avoid paying overtime rates. So, when there's this loss in labor being seen as a result of the assembly bill, what sort of policy can counteract this? Hill said she has a couple of ideas. One, which is one that I've been kind of contemplating and which now has precedence in two states, which are New York and Oregon, which is a income tax or tax credit so at the end for overtime hours so at the end of the year if employers paid workers for overtime hours they can then uh, put that in as a tax credit when they're filing um, so to my knowledge no one has looked at the effects of that the the laws in Oregon and New York went into place I think New York's just started in 2022 with the tax credit but so it's yeah, that, that sort of solution has potential if the goal is to increase worker earnings. But this also kind of gets back to my fundamental uh, 
do workers want to be working those long hours? And for that piece, I don't have a great policy solution. Uh, you know, like the ideal is the workers who want to work longer and make more money can, and those who don't want to, don't have to, and can still keep their employment. Uh, but anyways, so the, the other kind of thing that industry is talking about is similar to what got passed in Colorado, which is, and has precedence in Hawaii too, which is essentially different overtime thresholds for peak season. So during harvest, you usually need people to work for longer. And also we get a lot of seasonal workers who want to make a lot of money during harvest. And so they don't have to work for the entire year. Uh, so that would kind of accomplish those two. You're listening to My Ag Life. I'm Taylor Jalstrom. We're thrilled to announce that the North Valley Nut Conference is taking place on January 31st at Silver Dollar Fairgrounds in Chico, California. This event is held in conjunction with University of California Cooperative Extension. It's a golden opportunity for professionals in the tree nut industry. Network with our exhibitors and sponsors who are committed to your success in the orchard. Earn valuable continuing education units and expand your knowledge on the latest industry trends. Listen to our expert speakers, share valuable insights and practical advice, but attendance is filling up fast. So make sure you visit myaglife.com backslash events and register today. We hope to see you there. According to Blue Book and Produce IQ, strawberry markets are up in response to low supply in most major growing regions. Cool and rainy weather in Mexico, Florida, and California is hurting yields. In addition, the Christmas holiday has caused labor shortages, particularly in Mexico. The near-term weather forecast is calling for dry conditions for central Mexico and Florida, and that should relieve some overextended supply. Strawberry prices are passing $25, which is typical for this time of the year. If you're looking for an entry-level job that involves fighting climate change, the USDA may have just the job for you. USA Ag News reporter Gary Crawford has more. Does this describe you and your hunt for an entry-level job? I really want to work on climate change. I don't know how to get my foot in the door. If that's you, listen up. The door of opportunity is opening. Claire Silroski is with USDA's Rural Development Mission, working with energy programs, some of which help farmers install clean energy systems. And she says applications from producers for those programs have been setting records. And so we need more people to help us administer these programs. USDA has just posted job announcements, 40 positions under its Climate Change Fellows Program, new positions opening up initially in 33 states and Puerto Rico. And so these fellows will be basically working with the energy lead in their state and actually going through these applications from farmers and evaluating them, you know, with some training, of course, and then awarding these new projects. For more information, go online, search Climate Fellows USDA, Climate Fellows USDA, application deadline January 9th. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. The U.S. House of Representatives have passed the Whole Milk for Healthy Kids Act of 2023, a bill that would allow for whole and reduced fat varieties of milk to once again be served in school cafeterias. The vote was 330 to 99. Michael Dykes, a veterinarian and president and CEO of the International Dairy Foods Association, released a statement commending the strong bipartisan vote. He said the IDFA praises a strong bipartisan passage of the Whole Milk for Healthy Kids Act by the U.S. House of Representatives and calls for swift action on a companion bill 
in the U.S. Senate so that schools can once again provide children with a wide variety of milk options that deliver essential nutrients and meet their individual needs, whether that be whole, 2% low-fat, or lactose-free milk. Whole and 2% milk provide children with 13 essential nutrients for growth, development, healthy immune function, and overall wellness. Since whole milk and 2% milk were banned from school meal menus more than a decade ago, meal participation has declined while food waste has climbed, meaning children are consuming fewer essential nutrients. He says this is especially concerning considering underconsumption of milk and dairy products is prevalent among school-age children, where between 68 and 94% of school-age boys and girls are failing to meet recommended levels of dairy intake per federal guidelines. The whole statement is available online at idfa.org. Congress is in recess for the holidays, but talks continue over the break on keeping the government funded through shutdown deadlines in late January and early February. Funding runs out on January 19th for USDA, the Departments of Transportation, Housing and Urban Development, Food Agencies and Veterans Programs. But Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says that they are trying to figure out the best way to avert a shutdown. It won't be easy because House GOP leaders want more spending cuts than Senate Democrats. Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley told Farm Reporter recently. Now the House wants to do something different, whether it involves some side agreement or just uh, just efforts for the House to reduce expenditures. Uh, that's their business that I don't have any control over or why even voice a, an opinion on. But Grassley says he and the Senate are sticking with a deal that President Biden made with former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, a deal that cuts spending less than House Republicans demand. And without a deal on the top line figure for the rest of the fiscal year or some way to extend the clock, USDA and its many farm and food agencies could be forced to shut down on January 19th. In the meantime, Grassley says farm bill funding disagreements continue. Democrats want to hold on to pandemic food stamp levels while Republicans want SNAP savings to go to farm programs. At 85% of the farm bill being nutrition and 15% of it for family farmers, uh, it just isn't much of a farm bill. We want to put more farm into the farm bill. But doing so will take money, especially to boost reference prices that trigger farm payments. And unless new money is found for the farm bill, that means going to other farm bill titles like nutrition for savings. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. That's, that, it's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. Yeah.